0: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Strength Academy Podcast. Once again, I'm Mundo, and I'm joined by Grayson.
1: How's it going, everybody?
0: And uh, today, we, we're we just going to kind of explore some ideas about um, – I read a book recently about the talent code, and they were talking about myelin and how people build myelin skill sets and, and how you – make progress in something um kind of goes back to like how you practice like deep practice and building the myel- myel- myelination circuits that um eventually produce good skill and high level skills and uh, we just kind of wanted to talk about some of that stuff and we've been kind of mulling a, a little bit over about that and then maybe getting and getting into uh what internal monologues are in the latter half of the podcast so uh, let's go ahead and start off with what we were talking about before so we were kind of going over the idea of like when you build a skill set Um, in anything it could be weightlifting it could be a a musical instrument it could be learning how to draw like whatever you're trying to venture out and learn you have to start somewhere right and you have to build up the circuitry um, in in those pathways that develop the skills that you're trying to to have at the end so like if you're practicing jiu-jitsu you got to learn the basics of jiu-jitsu um, how to apply leverage how to you know move your body in specific ways but like that takes time and same thing with weightlifting weightlifting takes time to learn it takes um a long time to learn so like what's your idea about building circuits and the 10,000 hour rule and we we're talking a little bit about 10,000 hour rule and so there's a little bit of controversy about how that works but uh let's get into some of that
1: yeah so i mean i think it's really interesting because uh basically what they were doing in talking about uh, your increasing myelination and building those circuits is essentially providing the physiological explanation of technique. And um, so we always talk about it in terms of, oh, we just want to get better at technique, but if you're really asking what what is my body doing as I get better at technique? Right. What happened in that day and a half where I went from having to power snatch and ride down to catching at the bottom. What's that gap there? What yep. happened? So what they're talking about with the increase in myelination is that when a nerve fires, um, it has to depolarize. So sodium potassium kind of switch out. that creates an electrical current that goes down the length of the nerve. And uh, the myelin sheath is a, a Schwann cell. So there's a cell that wraps itself around You can think of it as like the tube or the axon of the nerve cell. And what it does is it provides um, a gap where depolarization occurs up until that cell. Because the cell is wrapped around, that section doesn't have to depolarize, and the depolarization jumps to these gaps between swan cells called the nodes of Renvier. So when you have this electrical signal hopping and skipping steps, Um, it speeds up how fast that signal gets from the nerve uh, cell body down to the muscle fiber that it's innervating. So the the theory is, is that if you're practicing technique and you're building a motor pattern, the more often you're firing that nerve, the body adapts by making firing that nerve more efficient by laying in more of these Schwann cells. Okay. So if you're... And this is kind of the argument for, for doing a lot of practice in the Olympic lifts. So you see, you know, in powerlifting and stuff like that, you know, maybe it's it's a less complicated pattern to fire because there's just it's down and up or right. up and down. Um, but with, you know, so you don't see as high a frequency in the lifts as you do in the Olympic lifts. So one of the reasons for that is that this repeated firing, one of the adaptations is that you end up with a faster nerve fiber um because of this increased schwann cell sure and i think it's a really cool way to kind of break down like okay well what is what is my technique work actually doing and it's 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 not even that you're changing the muscle physiology at all right it's that you're changing how fast you can fire the correct sequence right so how fast can you move from pulling to dropping that's an increase in myelination, right? So mm-hmm. if you get faster there, you're just better at firing yeah. in that way. And I think it's important to remember that this increased myelination and uh, better kind of nervous system activity is in large part where a lot of your strength gains come in. Because we've all had the experience of getting a lot stronger without getting any bigger. Right, yeah. That's an increase in neural efficiency. So that strength is a skill set. And if you're you know, unskilled, you maybe can fire 60% of your muscle fibers at once. Okay. But through repeated exposure to that stress, the nerve either innervates better or has a stronger signal or has these kind of increased Schwann cells to speed up the conductivity. And what you end up with is now you can fire 80% of your muscle at once instead of 60% and that's gonna be an increase in strength. Right. So especially in beginners, almost all strength adaptations are neurological.
0: Okay, um, all right. Yeah, so that makes a lot of sense and it's kind of like the electrical signal, electrical signals are playing hopscotch, right? So exactly. they're moving faster along this pathway and, and you're getting better and more efficient at it. So like, how do we, so one of the things that they mentioned in the book, uh, The Talent Code was that the 10,000 hours involved deep practice. It's not just practice, right? Cause you can practice something till the, till your fingers bleed and still not get better at it, but there's a way to practice deeply. There's a way to be engaged with the learning process and, um, kind of speed up that myelination of those, of those cells. So how do we do that in weightlifting? Is that, you're talking about neural adaptations and things like that. So like the way that we, how do we deep practice the skill of weightlifting?
1: Well, so this is, uh, you know, that's the big question. Um, right. I think you know the, the 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 key way is that you know when you break down technique and you say, okay, we're working from hip today. Right. Simplifying the movement into its constituent parts um, is probably benefiting that in some way. So there's a reason that we don't just lift from the floor all the time and do the full movement. Sure. And it's just a it, it seems like there's a, an inefficiency there. Like you end up with. A misunderstanding of the transition from knee to hip right. or, um, you know, some other kind of technical errors fl- flip in there. So I think that, you know, part of that deep practice is, you know, breaking down the movement a little bit, but also, uh, something that I've been implementing a lot more for everybody that I'm programming for is, uh, I'm calling it bar karate, but I, think, karate. I think you said that bar katas might bar- be a better, yeah bar katas. <laughs> uh, might be a better way to do it. So it's, you know, and this is something that I notice is, you know, you watch training hall videos of these elite athletes, and you can just tell how good their motor pattern is when they take the empty bar. Yeah. Like, if you watch them take the empty bar, it's just super crisp, everything's perfect. You can be in a balanced overhead squat with no weight, you don't need any counterbalance. Yeah. Like, I think that's a really good example of that increase in neural efficiency. And I think that if you take a couple days a week to just drill, 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 with lightweight or an empty barbell, Mm Before your workout, or as a cool down, or on a rest day, sure. like that might be a way to help speed up that uh, motor learning. Right. And you know, thinking about it from the physiology is really interesting, but in the practical side, it basically just means make sure that you're actually practicing what you want to do. Right. And I think too often, uh, you know, we we miss out on perfect reps with the empty bar because we just want to get through it. So sure. it's all right. I kind of muscle snatched it. I kind of overhead squatted a bit. But like, if you can get really snappy and precise with those, you know, just the movement, yeah, and then introducing the load and trying to keep that consistent, I think that that's probably one way that you can help um, steer yourself towards greater adaptation to the movement rather than to the strength. Because usually, I mean, let's face it, most of us aren't limited in our snatch by how strong we are, you know. Yeah, that's (laughs) true. It's very rare that you're just not strong enough to snatch that. There's usually something going wrong. Yeah. Or it's one area isn't doing something at the right time. Yeah, that's Um, true. So yeah, I think the 10,000-hour rule um, is really interesting. And I listened to a debate between uh, Malcolm Gladwell and... Oh man, I forgot the other guy's name. But if you look up 10,000-hour rule Malcolm Gladwell and debate, you can kind of find this thing where they go back and forth. And it's basically... The, the two arguments are, is, you know, it's the 10,000 hour rule is you do specific practice all the time. Right. But then the other side is that it seems like people with general skills, thrott- like if you build up a large general base before you introduce mm-hmm. a more advanced skill, sure, they tend to, to take to it better. So, like, it would be the example of, like, playing lots of different sports, and then settling on baseball in college versus playing nothing but baseball from the time that you're... Oh, I see. Eight yeah. And tell them. So, so having that kind of generalist approach, and then that's kind of just a backing of, of the idea of GBP. Right. So, like, can you do pull-ups? Can you do, you know... Right. How's your flexibility? Are these kind of... Like, what's your jumping like? All of these so things... So, like, what
0: your level of athleticism is in general.
1: Yeah. So you could think of the... Uh, generalist base for any athletic endeavor is just that that just general athleticism. That sure. How well can you move your body? What's your kinesthetic awareness right. like? Because if you just take So here here's what I want to know and, I, and I, don't, I don't have an answer to this, but if you take somebody who does 10,000 hours of just practicing the snatch and then you take somebody else and you spend a while working on bear crawls and pull-ups and all kinds of, you know, tumbling, gymnastics stuff. Sure and then start them in, how long will it take for them to kind of like converge on the same point of technical proficiency? Right. That'd be
0: an interesting experiment to have. Because it'd I think- be really that, hard to run, but well, it'd yeah. be cool to know. Yeah, because like a lot of the time, um, we get athletes from other sports. So like, it's not very often that we get somebody that's just fresh, like from nothing um they usually play some other sport whether it's baseball basketball volleyball rugby um martial arts yeah yeah, any range or field of sports that you can think of like we get those athletes so a lot of time they've already developed a sense of awareness of their own body and especially gymnasts are very good at bodily awareness they have a very good sense of like moving their body in space and having an object close to their body and proximity to their body and moving along with it so like they have yeah so it's easier for me like my experience with gymnasts is like they they get it very quickly and and usually they don't have a lot of mobility issues Um, they're pretty flexible so like their their general athleticism is very good and sometimes you get athletes from other sports where they they have deficiencies in in muscle development uh, or they're asymmetrical like a lot of baseball players they only throw one side one-handed you know they're they're right-handed they're always throwing on that right side they don't get that same motion on the left so the left side is a little underdeveloped it's a little slower in in lockouts and pressing and things like that so like um it's not quite as the, the muscles don't fire at the same rate on that side um, with some of the some of the athletes like depending on what what side they're dominant on as well and, and that all comes into play but like um, a lot of time when they come from these other sports they have developed some sense of awareness of their own bodies and, and moving objects in space and things like that and timing and, and a lot of other sports require timing and, and being able to like have a sense of when you're supposed to fire a muscle activate a muscle and, and, and give like a full effort or a push. And uh, sometimes, like, it's hard to develop that in, in, like, younger kids don't uh, develop that right away. So, like, it takes a long time for them to kind of get the understanding of, like, moving an object in space and moving their body with it in conjunction with it. And sometimes adults do, too, but a lot of times adults have a better idea of it than than kids do. But, like, developing that sense and that awareness, that bodily awareness in children is, like, uh, something that... You have to develop across the board no matter what sport you play because they don't come with that skill set ingrained in them like that's something that you have to cultivate and kind of like grow so um, helping like our youth athletes develop that sense of deep practice like what are they looking for what are we looking for when when we're developing technique and strength and things like that and how do we get these neural adaptations and a lot of time like the, the youth athletes will get stronger without getting bigger like they're not getting like super bulky they're not putting on tons of mass, but they are getting stronger. So like like Grayson said, it goes back to those neural adaptations that are that are happening. And like we'll get youth athletes that develop very quickly and and start to PR very fast and start to their their strength starts to catch up to the technique very quickly and, and then you can move those things forward. But um, a lot of the time it's it's just a process of just getting them used to their own bodies and the idea of moving them around in conjunction with an object that's outside of it.
1: Yeah, and like another way to look at this kind of learning, uh, motor learning thing is that the first time that you do uh, anything, but you know, let's let's use a squat for example. So I say you've never really done a barbell squat before. The first time you do it, you're thinking, okay, keep my upper back tight. I got to keep the bar in place. Then right. I'm going to move my balance into the right spot. I'm going to set my breath. And I'm gonna, I have to bend my knees but push them out. And then I have to sit the hips straight down and but not push my knees out too far and there's a lot of things that you're thinking about and the, the thing that separates somebody who's learning a movement from somebody who's mastered it is there's no thinking involved. So that increasing the, like you have to plan and you have to think and consciously do your movements but at a certain point it's not the eight steps to getting the bar to the hip, it's just stand up in the right positions mm-hmm. so like this learning phase is basically just making it more and more autonomous and more and more automatic and you know like we said that's a physiological adaptation in the nervous system that's doing those things but in practice it's really just trying to like, it's hard to get people to relax enough to just you know, just you can just kind of move because you know like you when you're developing as like a child There's probably a decent amount of effort involved in the first time that you go to grab something and not drop it. You know, like the first time you try to pick up a cup and drink it, kids suck at that, right? Yeah. But we all kind of do it automatically and you don't have to think about it. You just think, I want to drink this and the hand moves and grabs the cup. And what we're trying to do is we're basically trying to get all of our lifts to be that automatic. Yeah. Where it's just, okay, I'm going to snatch this and then it's just snatching versus clearing the knees, bringing the bar into contact, extending all the way, dropping under without lost time, all of that stuff, um, as you get more and more practice in, you definitely start getting more automatic with that. Yeah. And in things like chess or stuff like that, you start to see moves better. In jiu-jitsu, you can kind of feel the weight shift or like kind of figure out where your opponent is, right. planning ahead. These sort of things just sort of become automatic. Um, rather than requiring any sort of, like, deliberation on, okay, well, which muscle do I fire next? Because if we had to think about individually firing every muscle in the shoulder joint to stabilize overhead, it would be impossible, right? Because there's so many things involved. So I think that, you know, for beginners, it's really important to explain to them what's happening, but almost not explain too much. Where it's, it's getting them into the right position and then trying to get them to think about what that felt like more than what was happening. Right. Because in so much of it, it's just going to be that felt right. What does it feel like to do a squat? Okay, now I'm just going to replicate that feeling. Because the muscles will all fire, right? You right. don't have to plan it. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, that's one of the things where it's like, well, it's like people are like, oh, you know, my glutes don't fire. It's like, well, you can walk. So your glutes fire. Your glutes are working. Yeah, <laughs> and they're just they're just not contributing at the right time in right. the lift or exactly. something. You know, they're just not strong enough to help with that. So it's it's not that, you know, if you're got a lagging group, that you need to like consciously try to fire your glutes harder. Right. Because chances are, if you're not, if you don't have a neurological deficit, and you're not injured or sick, that. They work, man. If you can get up and down out of the chair, there's there's no other way to, to stabilize while you're walking than to fire your glutes. Right. It's just are they doing it at the right time in the movement? That's, and yeah, is the movement feeling correct? And I think that um, really kind of bringing everything back to what does it feel like to do this? And I don't know. This is where I think that the 10,000 hour rule is a great metaphor, but it might not be literally accurate. Sure. You know?
0: Well, because I, I like it liken it up to driving where like you can have a bunch of habits in your in the way you drive and things like that even if you drive like a manual like all that stuff becomes automatic you, when you learn to shift like listening to the sound of the engine knowing when you know what what speed you need to change the gears in, and, and like that all becomes automatic you don't have to think about it after a certain amount of time but that doesn't mean you're great at it like that doesn't mean you could be a, a drag strip racer or a race car driver like the timing to shift things and and the ability to to know when you know the tires are breaking loose or something like that and and there's another skill set involved in doing that so like weightlifting isn't just putting the bar over your head like there's ways to do it yeah but you can be strong and be completely inefficient in the, in the way that you do it so it goes back to like how you practice how you develop the skills matters so like you can know how to snatch but still have it look terrible or still be like you know out of balance or, or have inefficiencies in your technique so like the way that you practice and how you develop those skill sets matters so like it, it can become automatic but it can become automatic in a bad way too so like how you how you develop your your technique how you develop your strength and the positions that you develop your strength in all matter they all make a difference so the the times when like you start hitting heavier percentage lifts and things start falling apart is it because their technique is off or is it just because like maybe their mindset isn't quite used to those types of things like where do you think the disconnect happens when when things start to get a little heavier and people start to get a little more apprehensive about putting things over their head like cuz you want things to be automatic you want to practice the same the same way you play all the way through from the beginning of the bar empty barbell to whatever weight you're trying to get to how do you Make sure that you're developing your technique in the way that you're supposed to, as opposed to just building pathways that are inefficient and you know could potentially lead to just stalling out in the long run.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think that kind of comes down to um, what's the saying, how you do anything is how you do yeah, everything, yeah, exactly. Where, like, I think too often what you see is I think that the, the biggest problem with people hesitating or trying to do stuff different is um, thinking is the enemy, there, right? So it's Okay, I put this new weight on the bar. Now I got to try extra hard to do it instead of just relaxing and doing what you've been doing the whole time. But the problem is, is that I think a lot of times people aren't doing the whole thing the whole time. They know, ah, it's 35 kilos. I can snatch it. Yeah, in my exactly. Yeah. And they kind of just uh, snatch it. But they aren't trying to make that the best 35 kilo snatch they've ever done in their life. And then when they go up and they hit a weight that they actually have to, really get it together and yeah. fire and be aggressive with it's just not there because you haven't been doing it the whole warm-up right and that's where you know like you you were talking about deep practice you know or, or, or bar karate where it's okay how well can i move this bar yeah okay how well can i move the first weight i put on the bar like i never lazily muscle snatch even if it's a weight that's like pretty light i still try to move that thing as fast as i can okay. you know it's like so there's always this I mean, I I don't want to use the word laziness, but like (laughs) when when it's easy, people don't use that as an opportunity to try to make it even better. They're just like, oh, it's 60 kilos. I can snatch that pretty easy. Sure. And they just kind of catch it. Maybe they're a little bit forward or, but it's light, so you don't have to worry about it. But then when it's heavier, that problem shows up again. So I think that it's really important to take, you know, every lift seriously. And I think that's what you were talking about with deep practice. Right. Yeah because like we talked about with the myelination the problem there is that whatever you do the most is what's going to be the most it becomes the
0: default yeah it becomes the default
1: and once you have a bad default really really ingrained that's twice as hard to overcome so if you you know that's the importance of of learning correctly the first time because if you've been you know struggling and straining and doing some really gross stuff in your garage with no help it takes a lot longer to change something that you've been doing wrong for years than to establish the correct things the first time around and that's why, you know, like we, we've talked about before, coaching is really important and um, because we don't want to waste time developing pathways that won't help. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. you know, it, it, it's the same thing when it comes to speed. Like, I'd much rather somebody like like push press is a great example because like we've all seen really slow push presses right where it's oh grind it out right kind of five seconds to lock out i'd much rather see somebody practicing push presses in the way that's actually going to help because the trick is is that you want to fire things as fast and as hard as possible all at once right and shifting into that low gear and just kind of barely popping with the legs and then slowly pressing out versus a real snappy almost like jerk to straight legs right kind of timing in the push press one of those is going to pattern getting under the jerk better than the other right it's, yeah that makes sense it's how fast can you move your arms not how slow can you move. how your grindy
0: arms. can it be yeah right yeah
1: and i think that's where people get caught up in you know we, we have the, we see this problem all the time because it's you know it's a strength sport we want to lift heavier weights but sometimes That has a negative impact because we also want to look at speed qualities and Being able to fire a muscle slowly for a long time is kind of a different skill set than Quickly firing everything as hard as you can all at once. Yeah, and this is one of the benefits of doing multiple sets of kind of lighter weights on squats sometimes is Really working on being explosive with your squats versus like grinding them out I think kind of develops those patterns in a different way. Yeah, for
0: sure and so like, it kind of goes back to what you were saying about um, how we develop these skills and the, the point is to develop them in a way that is gonna carry over to, to what we want it to do, right? So I'd rather have somebody snatch, a, maybe a little more choppy, but be in the right positions than somebody that's fast, but gets out of position too easily. So like, I'd rather have somebody that's a little bit maybe slower to develop some of that speed quality under the bar and things like that, but they're, they're in the right positions, So they know where they need to be and they're getting there consistently. I'd rather have that than somebody that's like, they look fast, but it's always out of position. It's always like getting out. And then like, it goes back to like how you practice with the bar just by itself. And then leading up to all those lifts, they all contribute to how that, those muscle circuits are firing. And so if you, if you think about the bar is just this. Oh, it's not really this important thing that I have to move around. Like how you move the bar, just by itself, is an indicator of how well you lift overall. I think because like if you can do something with the bar just by itself, that means you have the right mobility, the good, the good sense of balance, a good sense of position, and like being in the correct posture and things like that. So like it has more carryover than somebody that's just whipping the bar around just to to warm up and it just looks willy-nilly like it's just slapped together like I'd rather have somebody that's more focused on moving well from the beginning throughout the entirety of the session from the beginning of the warm-ups to the end of their working weights than somebody that's like oh they're they're burning through the workout but everything's like rush everything's like oh I'm just trying to get through it as fast as possible so like I'd rather have somebody that takes the time to kind of do the things properly from the beginning um, and, and Grayson said that he wa- he likes to watch people warm up, especially elite athletes. And, and we've been kind of watching some YouTube videos of elite athletes warming up. And how they warm up is not always the same in every case. But, like, there is a good sense of bar warm-up development. Well, like, and whatever they always have that implemented. deliberate. Yeah, and it's deliberate. Like, it's not like they just pick up the, the, the barbell and they're just like, oh, I'm just going to do this. And, like, they're always focused on something. They're trying to warm something up specifically to their their technical aspect of, of of the lift and and um, they each we all have our own different bodily like areas of trouble that maybe it's our, it's our thoracic or our shoulders or maybe our hips are tight or something like that. there's always something that we individually have to work on so like those parts are different but i think the intention to move well is always there with the elite athletes like it's you watch them warm up with just the barbell the way they they even just do like wrist circles and arm circles like they're trying to move around that joint get the synovial fluid into the into the joints and like they're moving with a purpose and i think that's what it comes down to is like moving with a purpose
1: yeah and i and uh you know i had a interesting conversation with one of our youth athletes is uh you know since we're encouraging people to do Hey, make sure you take the bar a ton of times. It gets super warm before you go. Yeah. And he was doing some holds in his overhead squat. So he was just kind of sitting down. We were working on hip position and posture. And he was just kind of doing some empty bar holds. And on the third set, he was like, Man, I can really like feel what my core needs to be doing. Okay. Now that I've spent all this like I've spent like a minute and a half down here before warming up. Man, I can really feel like what the bracing feels like when I'm pausing down here. Okay. And I think that that's like a really cool insight, and I love seeing that out of him because you know, getting a fifteen-year-old to like want to pay attention to what core bracing feels like is is outstanding. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's yeah. a hard. That's a hard sell because uh, it's not as it's not as fun. But I think that you know that deliberate and focused is exactly why I like to. I don't like to use the term workouts. I like to use the term practice.
0: Practice. Yeah. Or training. We, yeah. Our training, because yeah. like
1: it's it's not. You know, it's not as simple as I come in, I lift 70 kilos, however, Mm -hmm. and then I can lift 80 kilos. It's, no, you have to come in and lift 40 through 60 kilos really well, do the best 70 kilos you can, and then you get the 80 kilos. So I I think that um, we don't have as much of a problem with this now that we're kind of in a weightlifting specific arena. But, you know, when you're working in a CrossFit gym and you're working with CrossFit athletes or you know, transitioning away from group classes to where everything has to get done in this time frame to a training hall style format, which I personally think is the better format for learning the lifts. I agree. Yeah. Um, If you try to put it, we're going to do this for 60 minutes. Like I think that, you know, you're, you might not, that the plan might not work out. You know, you've got to have a little bit of an amorphous time scale because, there might be something wrong that we need to drill for 10 minutes and then, you know, put you back into whatever you're doing or I'm going to have you take weight off the bar and do a different thing and then come back to it. Sure. So I think that, you know, really reframing it as it's not just how much work you do, right? It's not just a volume of work accumulated. It's how well you're accumulating it. And a lot of times what people think is the, the more is better thing where it's, Oh, if I train extra or I do three extra sets, or you know whatever it is yeah but the quality doesn't stay as high like I'd rather you be doing better quality work a little bit less frequently than like kind of choppy yeah you know, things well and, and I
0: think that goes back to like something that we were looking at this week with uh there was a an athlete from one of the local CrossFit gyms that was doing a hang clean and it just looked terrible like the the entirety of the lift was terrible and then not not only did he complete the lift in in a very like hard way on the body, like it, the way it, it crashed on him, um, the position was was not ideal, and and like the extension was sh- cut short and um, didn't get under the bar very well. The elbows were low when in that receiving position. And then they put more weight on the bar and then just got spit out of it so like the previous rep didn't look good but they they completed it so it's like oh i can go up and wait because i made the lift right but but the idea is like it wasn't technically executed very well it was just the guy is strong and and his strength is definitely exceeds his technique so i think in those in those times where like you get the lift but it looks like complete garbage And then you move up in weight because you technically made the one before it was like that to me that doesn't make a whole lot of sense because like it it just got spit right out of it like it just didn't happen but so like to me that's not increasing injury right yeah so like that increases the risk for injuries like the idea isn't to put on the most weight on the bar and just you know send it it's to execute as well as you can at the amount, most amount of weight that you can and sometimes not letting the ego drive training is probably a better way to approach like a lot of athletes yeah you want to be as strong as you can be you want to be you want to be the strongest in in wherever you're at or or wherever you know whatever your goals are if you want to qualify for something if you want to get you know to the point where you're qualifying for aero finals or nationals like but pushing past the point where your technique is falling apart and you're just adding weight on the bar because you you know, you know made the previous lift, but having it fall apart like that on you isn't a good way to go about training. Like that's, what, that's the opposite of deep practice. That's the opposite of what we want for our athletes. It's like, we want to cultivate that sense of like, well, I know I can hit that lift, but not as technically well as I should. Maybe I should just stick with where this lift is at right now and then move up if I can execute well and then move on. So like, I wanna ingrain in our athletes the sense of, if I can do this weight well, I can do the next weight well. And if I can start with the bar well, I can move to 40 kilos and do that well, and then do 40, you know, 60 kilos well, and then move it up to 80, and then do 80 kilos just as well. So like, the thing that separates, I think, elite athletes from just people that are just doing it to do it is the fact that they move with intention from the beginning of their barbell work to wherever they're at in, in, in their percentages and whatever they're lifting. So like everything looks the same, right? Or relatively close to being the same. Maybe they catch it a little bit lower as weight goes up. But like, I think that technically they try not to change anything. Like it's just consistent throughout the whole way through. And so I think that's where like people think that when they load up these heavy weights, like something has to be different. Something has to be like, you have to do something special, but really you should keep doing what you're doing just it's just a little bit heavier weight. And so I think that's where people like have this disconnect of, you know, I'm going for a PR, but really you shouldn't change anything. Like technically you still have to hit those same positions. You still have to get full extension. You still have to be aggressive with keeping the elbows high and keeping it close, keeping the bar close and being stable in your landing position, having good footwork. So like that doesn't change whether you're moving the empty bar or whether you're moving hundred kilos in a snatch.
1: Yeah, exactly, and that and that's where um, sticking with our uh, weekly matrix references. Our uh, are, are, uh, there is no spoon. <laughs> there is right? no spoon. Yeah. So exactly. it's 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 don't worry about what the weight is. You're replicating the movement, and I think that um, that that's that deep learning. Is is it's it's not about just throwing more weight on the bar. It's getting your movement to be precise and repeatable. Yeah. And then the strength comes from that. And like you were saying, like you know, you'd rather see somebody be a little bit slower or a little bit shoppier, but in better positions. That's where the speed comes from. Is if you get the positions down, eventually the speed of the contraction, and you speed up that motor pathway. Then right. you develop all of those, you know, physiological adaptations and mental adaptations. Of well, I guess mental adaptations are physiological, but you develop those kind of different ways of thinking about it and it's intuitive and then that is what allows you to speed up the drop. Yeah. And it's not just chasing the speed right away and being sloppy about it. Right. And I think that, yeah, it's it's easy to get caught up in just wanting to do heavier weights. And I fell into it and I think we all have. Yeah, like it, I, I,
0: I can't say that funny. I haven't done that before either, but I, I just... I want to get away from the idea of just like moving weight for the sake of moving weight. Like I, I, I'd rather... Have people that are technically sound and moving weights at the best of their ability, than trying to just break them and and get them to lift as heavy weights as possible.
1: Yeah, because in in the long run, you know, I think that it's it's what time frame are you looking at? Yeah. And if it's I need to get fifty pounds on my hand clean in the next six weeks by any means necessary. Is not the right way to say I'm gonna be the best lifter I possibly can be right. because you're not gonna be the best lifter you can in six weeks. Don't even worry about trying to do that. Yeah, stretch that time frame out to I want to be really good in three years. Right, <laughs> and well, focus on developing those kind of prerequisite skills.
0: And I think having that that idea is important. Is just like this isn't this is gonna take some time, right? It's just like learning any other skill. And I think that when people start off weightlifting, you know, they make a lot of progress right away, right away, and then they feel like, oh, I'm stalling out. I must not be very good at this. But the reality is that a lot of people don't get really good or reach their potential until maybe the five or six year mark, where they started, you know, that's when they're starting to develop and come into their own as a. As a as a weightlifter technique wise and strength wise and things like that but like you have to put in those 5 years like you have to put in that time to get there and sometimes that time is frustrating because you have to come back to certain skills that have to be re relearned and motor patterns that have to be um, reestablished, and then like that's why you you implement all these different training methods like block work and and explosiveness in, in in the squats and things like that and and breaking down the lifts so that you can ingrain these patterns that are more efficient and sometimes that process is frustrating because you have to go back and revisit some of those things to improve later on and i think that we 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 do a a good job of instilling in our athletes the idea that this is going to take a long time, guys. This isn't this isn't a short, quick fix. Like you're not going to become a great lifter in six months or three months or, or even maybe a year. It's going to take a little more time than that. And I think a lot of like our you're athletes really going to start
1: getting it a yeah, year. Yeah, and man, then you're going to understand how much work you still need. Yeah. You don't even understand that until you're done with the first. Right.
0: Year. Exactly. And I've had a lot of athletes in our gym come in and they've been with us for a year and they're like, "Man, I'm just starting to get it now." And they've been with us for a year. Like, and, and I think that we do a good job of like co- coaching them in the idea of not just um, the way they should lift, but how they should think about lifting and how long like, their, their outlook on it should be. Like, You're not going to get good at this in six months. Like, you're not going to be a professional level. You're not going to qualify for AO finals in six months, more than likely. Some people might. I mean, some people get it quickly, but other people, it just takes time. It's, and they have to realize that.
1: Yeah. And, and the people that do tend to get it, have a background in something that's right. like conducive. So yeah, exactly. like if you're transitioning from like high level track and field to weightlifting, you might get there faster, but it's because you did all of that work in track and field. Right. And right. I think that it's really interesting because weightlifting and and fitness stuff in general is one of the, one of the few areas that I think people think this way in that like, they're like, Oh, I did this thing for three months why am I not stronger? Right. It? Yeah, exactly. Why, what do you mean? Why Why hasn't my squat gone up more than five kilos in this like last three months? And if you, if you find yourself falling into that, and I, I, I did this too, where I was like, okay, if I hit a two kilo PR every week, I'm going to make, I'm going to win the American open. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Here, this right. is going to be great because you're making those fast kind of increases in your strength there. But you would never approach anything else like that. Like if you were good, if you were learning to play violin, you, you would never.
0: <laughs> I'm gonna be a master viol- like concert violinist, in three months. Yeah, like, I'm gonna be playing at Carnegie Hall. Like, yeah, nobody, nobody would
1: be. ever think that, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's kind of crazy, and it's and it's it's a different skill set, you know. But it's the same thing where you you It's just not gonna it's not gonna happen right away.
0: Yeah, like if somebody <laughs> brought a cello to your house and said, "All right, you have six months to learn how to play this, and you're gonna be playing Carnegie Hall in six months." that would be insane like you'd be like what like i've never even picked up a stringed instrument before like i don't know anything about it yeah but like people pick up a barbell and they're like oh i i can learn snatch in like six months and be perfectly like like an olympian like i'm gonna be snatching next to muhammad yusuf and and Klokov and these guys out in the olympics like yeah that's it's not gonna happen and like, it's it it's really like interesting
1: that. to me that it's it's for some reason people just think that i'm gonna get strong really fast right and it's, it's the same thing. Like, if you're trying to get better at playing the cello, slamming your fingers into the wrong place and <laughs> yeah. wrenching the bow into it as hard as you can is probably not the best way to make progress. Right. It's how do I smoothly transition from A to C on this string? And how do I make this certain noise with the thing? And you got to break it down yeah, yeah. and get really good at the basics. Right. And I think that... Um, for some reason we just don't think about physical activity the same way we think about musical like skill or improvements in how well you can write and communicate ideas. Yeah, for sure. You know, these things like we we're willing to be patient for some stuff, but for some reason, when it comes to physical things, it's, it's not the same. Yeah. And, you know, I fell into it too when I was, you know, uh, you know, 19 years old and trying to lift. And I was like, oh, I could probably get up to, like, 210 pounds and be pretty muscular. And it's like, well, that's a 10-year goal to put on 60 <laughs> yeah. pounds of muscle. Like, you're right. not going to do that this year. Right. It's just just don't even try. Like, it's it's an unreasonable aspiration. And instead of chasing how big you can get, maybe get really good at lifting and then get really strong, and then you'll be big. Right. You know, yeah. there's there's the process things, but we skip them with physiological stuff. Okay? Yeah, I
0: think that one thing that uh, that I thought was interesting is over the past maybe like six months, maybe five months, um, you've been working on like general body preparedness and, and like your mobility and, and just general body movement, and uh, implementing a little bit of barbell work in between. But like, I think that you've increased your your flexibility, your your mo- range of motion and, and a lot of like different aspects of your physical preparedness and it, it's making your lifting better. So I think that sometimes um, going back and revisiting some of the basics, just the, the way that you move around in your, your body without any external apparatus, just moving your body around by itself has kind of helped you become a better lifter but you had to take the time and it took five or six months for you to be able to just kind of Ingrain these motor patterns where you can just do an air squat without having to warm up for 30 minutes And I think that that's increased your general athleticism and things like that But it took you a long time to do that like to, to create those motor patterns.
1: Yeah and, it, and, it, and I wish that I had done it first, yeah, you know, yeah. and I think that um, You know, so like full full confession there is I had snatched 107 kilos Before I was able to perform 10 air squats barefoot without rounding my back, right? And that's just a mismatch in (laughs) skill acquisition. And, you know, so missing out. So now, you know, like, we, you know, I'm trying to kind of get this idea of like, no, 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 like just how well can you move around? And, um, you know, mastering, you know, not just doing, you know, heavy squats, but like, can you air squat in the right position? Because, like, there was a long time that, you know, I could back squat. Heavier, like my back squat at 140 looked better than my air squat. Right. And like, that's just a mismatch. You know, there's an obvious deficit in movement skill there. Right. And you can mask a lot of your mobility restrictions by putting on your weightlifting shoes or doing these sort of things. Sure. But, but you're going to pay for it at some point. And, and the, the, where I was paying for it was, you know, lower back tweaks or, you know, just like, Getting hurt yeah. or things just not feeling right, and being willing to say, Okay, I'm just going to take a step back and just try to move better for a while and keep drilling the skills, but just kind of really try to reestablish, like, okay, where is the squad? Is my core strong enough to handle these positions? And you know, it's been really, really useful for me. And I think that it's an important lesson is that you know, skipping steps is more fun. Yeah, you know, it's way more fun to snatch than to just like really try to air squat all the way down right. with good you know without discomfort <laughs> right. well
0: i think it, it's a good example of taking something focusing on it making it really good and then it prove it improves something else so like um grayson took these general like physical preparedness movements things that a lot of people just normally do, just like squat and, and roll around and things like that um, in in other sports and things like that. But something that's not specific to weightlifting is like rolling around and, and moving the body and like twisting motions and things like that. They're, they're not necessarily um, abundant in weightlifting, but I think he did a good job focusing on improving his general athleticism, improving his range of motion, improving his athletic ability in a general sense and that improved his ability to be a better weightlifter so like but it it took a long time it took six months to build up those myelin pathways to create the awareness and the the range of motion and the flexibility to establish better positions so um i just i just want to ingrain the idea that folks like this takes time it takes time to be better at something you don't just slap the the strings and smack the the cello with the bow and and beautiful sounds come out of it it takes practice it takes some some development and some awareness of like how you're doing things not just not just doing them
1: and 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 those things you know were i think extra important for me because i I didn't play a lot of sports growing up you know i well ironically i played music um yeah so (laughs) i but I, i didn't spend a lot of time you know on the floor you know, doing wrestling practice or, you know, playing soccer or basketball or any of these sort of like coordination things. Sure. So I had started my, you know, training career with lifting and I was able to get decent at snatches and clean and jerks just by practicing them a lot. But I was still missing all of these kind of components of, okay, well, can you like jump off one leg without losing balance or like, can okay. you coordinate you know, firing things in a different order or, you know, being upside down. Can you do a headstand? And which I did for the first time this week, you <laughs> yep. know, like the, these sort of things, like, you know, the, these are this kind of skill sets that I, that I was missing from not having a, you know, gymnastics background as a kid. So it's going back and kind of revisiting patterns that you usually develop, but some of us don't, you yeah, know, some and, people and yeah. I think that, you know, taking that time to kind of say, okay, well, I'm just... I'm okay at snatching, but my movement doing other stuff is really bad. So maybe if I just get better at, yeah. at moving generally, I can kind of put that energy back into the lifts. And it seems like it's helping out a lot. Yeah, definitely. It's a lot more comfortable. I think it's improved.
0: Um, I think it's improved for sure. All right, so uh, last couple minutes, uh, we had a kind of a, a little poll that we did on our Instagram, and it was about uh, internal monologues. And... uh We asked people uh, what kind of internal discussions they have with themselves. Some people have a tendency to think in like sentences, some people narrate their experience, and some people think abstractly, And, and some people weren't aware that they think at all. And I think that's fascinating because like it's something that I'm constantly engaged with myself in is like thought processes and things like that. And I th- I have my own internal monologue, but I don't narrate to myself. Like I don't I don't say, oh, uh, I'm thirsty, I'm gonna grab some water. I don't, you know, I just go do it. Like I for me that's that. There's I'm not narrating that part. But some people think like, oh, I'm hungry. What should I make for lunch? Like, oh, I should probably think about this and they think of oh, throw something in the microwave. But not everybody has that. And do you think that? like uh, some people cultivate that or is it something that like some people develop over time or they just have a more rich inner life than some other people do like externally like more people are maybe vocal about their thoughts or or vocalizing the things that they do but some people are more like um, introverted and, and they they have internal dialogues so like how does that work for you like do you talk to yourself like do you talk to yourself in full sentences do you think abstractly like do you how do you experience that
1: yeah i'm definitely like most of my thinking is 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 language based i i for the most part um you know i'm thinking in sentence structure um so if it's you know i'm planning something i'm i'm thinking in sentences like i'm talking out loud right I mean, so just the way that I'm talking now is usually how my thoughts are running okay uh it's very rare that I'm thinking in imagery um, right. yeah. or I, I I don't even understand what people mean when they say they think abstractly right in that I I don't I don't get how like I, I'm not getting like images in full color like right. depicting what I'm going to be doing I'm thinking I'm going to get up and go into the kitchen and make some coffee sure and that's the, the same way that I think about it So, you know, you have, uh, you know, impulses and stuff that don't come from words where it's just like, I'm hungry. And then you go eat a bag of Mike and Ike's or something, you know, like, so (laughs) it's, it's, it's definitely like, I don't know. I'm, I'm definitely more language based. Is is that, is that the general way that the the poll was answered? What were our results on that?
0: I think uh, maybe 80% of people roughly, like, have internal monologues and think to themselves and think in full sentences and things like that. But maybe the other 20% comprises people that are either think abstractly or they don't think to themselves at all or they don't narrate their own experiences. So uh, I think that a majority of people have an internal monologue. They, they think to themselves in, in some way or form or another. And, and I think that um, sometimes people don't really pay attention to those those processes like their own thoughts like where they come from and things like that but um i think for the most part a lot of a lot of time people do have some kind of internal monologue they're, they're talking to themselves in some way whether it's by narration or they're thinking and when i say abstractly that means that they're thinking about concepts as opposed to like um narrating and what i mean by narrating is saying like i'm gonna go do this like oh maybe i should get up and get out of bed i should you know start some coffee i should you know i'm hungry i should pour myself a bowl of cereal like that's like narration you're you're narrating your experience and uh, some people do that but i think for the most part people just think to themselves like in in sentences but not always full conversations but uh that yeah, would seem to be the consensus conversationally yeah is, conversationally is, is
1: is kind of the exception right where it's, i'm not responding to myself right. yeah. it's uh-huh. kind of more broad just kind of what am I doing today? Right. Kind of planning these sort of things. But I think that the, you know, where this internal dialogue thing kind of gets interesting is, you know, the, I've, I've heard the argument made that um, having an ego or like feeling like a person piloting inside of your head mm-hmm. is the sensation of thinking without realizing you're thinking. Right. So okay. yeah. people don't, uh, you know, realize that the, the thoughts that are happening all the time, the thing that is aware of the thoughts isn't the thing that is generating the thoughts. Right. Yeah. And I think that that's really, really interesting. That's very fascinating. I um, think so and, too. And it's really, and I think people spend a lot of their time lost in thought, just kind of skipping from one thought to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. Right without really realizing that that's what's happening. You know, I think people are really distracted. Sure. Like, uh, it's that being in the moment thing. The enemy of being in the moment is thinking about what you're going to do next while you're doing one thing. Right. You know, so it's like... Yeah, that's, of, dis- that's, that's what distraction is, right? Yeah, so instead of, you know, being really focused on the discussion we're having here, it's I'm planning, I'm thinking about what I'm going to have for lunch while oh, we're talking yeah. about this, I you see. know? Yeah, yeah. So people don't realize how often they're lost in in their thoughts and I think that you know people with really powerful kind of self-narrations are incessantly thinking all the time Mm. and they're never really like they're always in the past or the future and it's kind of this like constant string of imagining an interaction with another person Or like replaying a thing that didn't go the way that you wanted it to, and sure. worrying about what that person's thinking about you right now, and you're thinking about them thinking about you, and it's just <laughs> this whole kind of thing.
0: That seems like excessive, but yeah, I know that some people do that, and and sometimes you'll have a conversation with somebody, and you'll be talking to them, or they'll talk, they're talking to you, and then you just blank out, and and they are like, I'm sorry, what were you saying? Or like and that, that's that's the exact thing that that you're talking about is where you have this internal narration and maybe like you're having a side conversation with yourself but you also have a conversation with somebody else so you can't have both at the same time because you can't focus on either one well people so then, try to well some people try to yeah but like but you can tell
1: when someone face yeah, out in the you middle can of a conversation tell, yeah because like, they're just like well you're not listening to me right, now. <laughs> right and that's when you get into fights with people you know it's where you have problems in your relationships right, it's right. like if you're always, you know, distracted and thinking about it instead of actually listening to, you know, like what that person did today, right. you know, you kind of end up with a problem situation there. And I think that, you know, the realizing how often you're being distracted is, is one of those really kind of important things. Mm-hmm. And just like realizing the pure chaos that is inside of your head sometimes. <laughs> because it's it's wild you know you can get so distracted by things and you're just worrying or stressing or reliving an event or imagining like how often do you have like arguments with people like fake arguments like with in people the shower brain? all the time yeah, like in the shower every time like, Oh, and i could say this <laughs> and then we could do that and then they'd say this and i'd counter with this right, yeah. and and i think that we play these scenarios and i think it's the default of the brain to yeah. to be planning I think there's probably an evolutionary advantage to that. Right. Right. Being yeah. able to plan and think. Well, ahead. part of it is
0: reasoning. Yeah. We're, we're, we have the ability to reason. And I think that's part of where it comes from is like we're, we're reasoning out specific things that are happening in our day or in our lives. And let's um, just, a, I thought the conversation about having an internal monologue was interesting because, I mean, we all seem to have some of it in, in a way. And, and some people are just less aware of it. And I think that um, just building an awareness of it is important because it helps you become less distracted, more. It can, you can become more engaged if, if you're able to, you know, keep those thoughts like, from from intruding when you're having a conversation with somebody else or when you're doing something like weightlifting. You know, if you're focused on the movement, you're focused on um, the the effort and and the practice. And trying to keep those internal monologues at, at a minimum, like, and, and everybody has them, so like we have those those thought processes, but trying to keep those quelled and at bay. Um, there's a place and time for it, for that internal introspection, I'm, I'm sure, but it shouldn't be when you're trying to actively like participate in, in your your deep practice.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I I find myself, you know, getting real. Like, you know, some days are better than others, but the distraction mid-lift is really interesting where it's you get to the mid-thigh and you're thinking about sandwiches and the lift (laughs) lift is just off and you're like where did that come from? And I think that What kind of sandwiches though? I mean usually Chiba Hut
0: Chiba Hut or Dion's Yeah Yeah. it's pretty good Yeah Chiba (laughs) Hut's pretty good too (laughs)
1: Um, But yeah I think it's really interesting uh, like One of the things that is always, you know, an an area that I'm kind of thinking about, uh, which is ironic, but just like thinking about like what, like, I'm not generating the thoughts, you know, when you and I are having this conversation, I'm not planning the next word that comes out of my mouth. The sentence just happens. And recognizing how little decision you have about what your next thought is going to be is really, really interesting to me. And I think that it's one of the reasons that I'm fairly convinced that whatever consciousness is, is it's along for the ride. Yeah. You know, because it's... You're not the the thing planning the thought. I'm not, you know, consciously choosing every word in this sentence as we're going. They just kind of happen and they show up. And your thoughts are the same way. So when you're in a conversation with people, unless you're just kind of sitting and planning... Instead of actually listening to what the other person is saying, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the way that the sentence ends isn't really a conscious decision on your part. You know, what yeah. words you choose aren't really up at like, there's no chooser picking words. The words just come and you observe them.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting observation, though, for sure.
1: And, and I think thoughts are the same way. Yeah. You know, like, if you sit down and, you know, you're trying to do, file your taxes... <laughs> And you start thinking about, you know, that awkward interaction you had with somebody at the grocery store, and <laughs> how bad you feel about cutting that person off in traffic, sure. or you know, any of these sort of things. The fact that you don't really get to pick what you start thinking about, I think, just kind of shows that there's a lack of control there, where it feels like they're in like, conscious control. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Conscious where the thing that is conscious of the thought. Right, the mm. the observer of the, the observer thought, of thought, yeah, uh, is not the thing that's generating the thought because it couldn't be. Yeah, because <laughs> there's no, there's like, so I think that the the interesting thing with the internal monologue is you get so caught up in how many thoughts you're having that it feels like you're steering the ship, but if you take a moment and kind of take a step back you can see that you don't choose any of these thoughts that are happening. You can choose to act on them. Maybe sure. there's a certain amount of, you know, nudging one direction or another, right. but the impulses you have, or those kind of like rogue thoughts that show up. And all of a sudden you're wondering why ants on a log are called ants on a log. <laughs> and it's just celery and peanut That's butter, nurse, it's celery, like, and butter. you know, like why you're thinking of that, why that was the example. I came up with why that was the th- neuron right. that fired and came up with that I had no real conscious control over that <laughs> okay you know it's it's yeah. one of those kind of interesting things where I really think I'm being more and more sold on the idea that awareness is just kind of along for the ride and the body is doing stuff right but the feeling of being a separate entity steering the ship and generating the thoughts in your head is kind of i'm, I'm more and more sold in the idea that that's an illusion there isn't a separate you like a homunculus piloting right. the brain yeah there's just awareness and then the contents of right. the things that you're aware of and thoughts are just this thing that pops up the same way you can't control what bird flies by your window or what breeze you feel right Like the, the thoughts are the same way as, as all, all other stimulus, you know, it's, it's just, oh, there's that thing. And being associated with your thoughts, I think is where people get, you know, depressed or egotistical or kind of caught up in these things because if you get caught in a thought loop and you think that that's you, you know, there's, there's this freedom of recognizing like, that's a weird thought. Yeah. And just kind of letting it go. Right. right. And not getting to, so caught up in just it. Just being an
0: observer of the thought as opposed to like saying being attached like with your ego to the thought. Like that's me. Like I think that way. Yeah, yeah. It's
1: just and it allows you to kind of repattern yourself a little bit if you go, "Oh, that's weird." and you kind of redirect. Yeah. Um so yeah, I think that, you know, internal monologues are a thing that happens, but if you pay attention to them and realize that you don't really have any control over it, sure. It gets scary. Really fast. <laughs> it gets I don't know. Weird. It's a real It can it, get it, super weird. It, it real makes quick. me think that I'm insane sometimes. <laughs> but like you know, it's it's really interesting how little control when you pay close attention. Yeah. Like you have no idea what the, your next thought is going to be. That's Whenever true. Whatever this is reminding you of, you didn't choose that. Right. It just happened. Yeah. And, it's a
0: fascinating concept for sure. And, and it's and, really
1: bizarre. Yeah. Um But I that's kind yeah. of what it made me think of this is the is, whole
0: internal monologue thing. Yeah. yeah. Kind of just like, where do your thoughts come from? where do they go and stuff like that? So yeah. Interesting stuff to think about, but that, I think that concludes the episode for today y'all. So we talked a little bit about, um, building myelin deep practice and you know, the 10,000 hour rule and things like that. And then also a little bit about internal monologue. So, um, if you guys have any feedback for us or you want to discuss anything, uh, just hit us up on, uh, instagram at albuquerque strength academy or you can always give us some uh, ideas and things to talk about at our email at asa weightlifting at gmail.com
1: all right guys please like and uh, subscribe to the show give us a five-star rating if you feel like it's worth it please it helps us kind of show up in the rankings really well and um yeah who's thinking that
0: yeah thanks for listening guys have a good one